porn, or as some experts refer to it, digital heroin, is something we tend to keep private, and we certainly rarely discuss it. It tends to be a dirty little secret between us and our screens. In just a few clicks, anyone can access explicit videos and enter their very own digital and sometimes dangerous fantasy. Well, today we're stepping away from the screen and taking our questions about porn into the public space because we are not afraid to talk about it. I'm joined today by celebrity and sex worker Megan Barton Hansen, as well as sex educator Ruby Rare, for an honest look at the role of porn. So here goes. Welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? Megan, hello, and welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's lovely to see you. You're looking pink and glorious and beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're feeling good? Yeah, feeling feeling good. Excellent. And, of course, a big welcome back to Ruby Rare and psychotherapist Sam Pennell-Zoncolo. How are you both? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm sad I didn't wear my GC today. (laughs) We're going to come on to that in in a second, actually, Ruby. Now, listen, you girls, both Ruby and Sam, you know how this goes. You've shared your very own It Can't Just Be Me dilemmas in previous episodes. And, Mm -hmm. Ruby, you did say that you were obsessed with your juicy tracksuit. And I've even got it in the script and you brought it up. I, like, purposefully woke up this morning going like I can't wear it or another one again because Anna will read me for it and then I was like Megan we could have been matching this is such a missed opportunity but yeah I have to say you are both matching anyway in, in, in your pink yeah it's a similar vibe it was a pink day today I was feeling it's when it's Wednesday Wednesday we wear pink uh, right Neos. Love that. There we go. We're making it a whole thing. <laughs> Wednesdays. We didn't get the memo, Sam. We How didn't. are you? I'm good, thank you. Always a pleasure. I know. It is. It's always fun having you on. So, Megan, these girls have done their very own It Can't Just Be Me before now. So, what have you got for us? What's your dilemma? Okay, so I used to be ashamed to say this, but I feel like the issue isn't me, it's them. It can't just be me that can't get to a second date. I've tried and tried, but I just can't. What do you mean? I feel like the older I've got, either my standards have just got a lot higher or people are just, I don't know. Maybe there's too much dating apps going on. Maybe there's too much toys. I don't know. But I can't seem to get to a second date and it is driving me crazy. So what actually happens on the first date? So we have a bit of like chat before we meet up, meet up. And they just, the things they discuss and want to talk about, whether it is because I'm like, a sex worker they feel like it's appropriate to speak about sex for the first day I just feel like if that wasn't my job would you be doing that oh that's interesting or about like exes and how toxic their exes were for me that's a red flag or like looking at other girls in the bar and like oh my god how hot is she like excuse me hello like I'm here Aren't I supposed to be the focus of this, at least first date? At least give me that. I was going to (laughs) say, on date number one, if your fella is checking out other girls in the bar while you're there, that's a massive red flag. Right. I feel as though you're just dating dicks. 
I feel like I am, but I have no like set type. I date both men and women. So I'm like, maybe I'm the problem here. Maybe I'm the common denominator here. But <laughs> Or perhaps the good thing is that maybe your standards are a bit higher. Which I like to tell myself, I won't lie. I'm like, maybe I've just grown and my boundaries are higher, my standards are higher and I'm not settling. I don't need to settle. And are you, are you having the same experience with the girls that you're dating then as well? Maybe less sexual conversation on the first date, but a lot like speaking about their exes and stuff. And I'm just like, this is a new chapter. Let's just discuss us, what we're into, our interests, getting to know each other. We don't need to know about the exes for now. We might not make it onto a second or third date at this point, so I don't need to know your history with your exes. Mm. For me personally. Interesting. So, Ruby, can you identify with this? Yeah, I can. I I think so many of us are feeling a lot of dating app fatigue right now because they're amazing tools, but they've been around for a long time. And I think that kind of abundance of choice changes our approach to when we're chatting to people and meeting them for the first time. Mm. I'm sick of dating first dates feeling like a job interview. Yeah. Like just having conversations and feeling like, is there common ground here? Is there some kind of like little sparky curiosity? That's what you're trying to get. You're, you don't need to know absolutely everything about someone. And so that's where it's like, I don't I don't need to know your exes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't need to know anything about your past in a really in-depth way. Let's just have a chat. So, exactly that. Like I just want to see if there's a little spark, a little chemistry. Mm-hmm. Christ, I feel like I'm probably on a first date, Sam. I feel like I'm that person that would be going on about all of my exes and <laughs> be really in depth and then just really really grilling you about your life I think I am that job interview person I, I like to approach a first date with a lot of mystery oh like I, t- I, I think I'm a bit you come in, in a cape <laughs> <laughs> I don't smoke but like you know there's like an air of that going on but yeah I think I tend to be a little bit at a distance and then after a first date then someone can see how much of a weird softie I am. You tease. What a what tease. What can I say? Well, um, I have to say, Megan, no, it can't just be you that can't get past the first date. I think that you just have really high standards and that's no bad thing. Oh, thank you. Now, look, today we're exploring the sticky topic of pornography. It's complex. It is divisive. It's out of control. It's exploitative. But we know it's not going anywhere and some might say it's also entirely necessary so we've all seen it we may use it and each of us has a very personal view in it around this table so Megan let's start with you because we know you have a huge following both as a celebrity and also as a sex worker and you describe yourself as a sex worker so for those people listening who are curious to know more about what that actually means what is it exactly that you do For me, I identify as a sex worker just because I felt so much shame around being a stripper. I was originally a glamour model, then that moved on to stripping and dancing. And I felt like people had such judgment that for me, it's empowering to use the term sex worker because a lot of people associate sex work with escorting or prostitution. But it's a whole umbrella that covers all different things from only fans glam modeling back in the day page three i would count that as sex work really so yeah i identify as a sex worker and there has been a lot of judgment especially being on such a big show like love island i thought i was prepared for the backlash but really i wasn't when i came out and saw some of the headlines it's crazy so 
Talk to me a little bit more about Love Island because it's huge. It's obviously a massive show and it, it, it totally catapulted you into the spotlight. Yeah. Did everybody know when you went on to the show that, yeah, I'm a sex worker? So I really had that approach of just owning it. I feel like if you own what's true to you and your authentic self, people can't really use it against you or it's kind of like water off a duck's back because I own what I'm doing I'm happy with what I'm doing so I remember my first conversation with all people was Dr Alex and then he was like all right I'm a doctor what do you do and I was like in my head I was like do I say a model do I say a glamour model do I say I'm a stripper I was like no just own it like I'm proud and I've made such good memories such good friends in the sex work industry that I just just blurted out. So what do you do now as a sex worker? Because you're, cl- you're not stripping, you're not in the clubs. What do you do? No, but I won't lie, I do miss it. Sometimes I get this weird urge. I'm like, should I just do like one night only and like go to a random strip club? I do miss it. Like the whole community of like sisterhood and girls. So I do miss it. But right now I just do like OnlyFans. And explain with the OnlyFans thing for people that don't know what OnlyFans is. What is it and what, what do you do on it? It's a subscription site. So it's basically like an Instagram, but rather than going on someone's feed and seeing their whole grid post, you'll have to pay a subscription of, I don't know, like maybe anything up to $30 a month. It's basically just like a glamorous Instagram. It's just bikini pictures, underwear pictures, nothing really explicit. And then if you want more, I will send like a pay-per-view and you have to open for extra money and that would be like a topless picture or a foot picture. A foot picture? Do you do a lot of foot pictures? It's huge. It's huge. I didn't realise until I got into the whole like adult like sex work industry that feet were such a big thing for people, like guys especially. I'm like, who cares as much about feet? Note. (laughs) Note to self, I'm thinking this could be a whole new income stream for mature feet. (laughs) Do you ever go any further in terms of people DMing you going, I don't know, I want to see you using a vibrator or masturbating, whatever. Are you up for that? You're like, well, okay, if you're going to pay me for it, yeah, I will. No, previously before Love Island, I did do webcam. So I'll do more things like that. But obviously being on TV, I'm still like enjoying doing things with certain TV channels and I don't want to go back and ruin that. And sadly, it is still very judgmental. So for that reason, I wouldn't go back to doing that level of nudity interesting you don't have to answer this question but i am really interested in this presumably part of the reason that you do it is because it's lucrative right of course yeah that's the whole reason i got into dancing in the first situation i was working in a law firm really wasn't enjoying it i was struggling to like pay rent and stuff and i was like why not I love being glamorous, I love dressing up, I love dancing, why would I not go and try it? Even though I do dance like a dad at a disco. (laughs) Luckily they gave me the job. (laughs) People will obviously pay for that. Am I right, if the headlines are to be believed, then you recently hit your million, didn't you? Your million pounds through OnlyFans. You don't have to answer, but I am genuinely intrigued. I'm like, fucking hell. It's, it's lucrative, for sure, compared to any other job I've had, more than TV, more than influencing. It is a really good, sustainable income. But I feel like I'm not trying to pitch that to girls to do. Do you know what I mean? OK, that's interesting, because you've said before that you find sex work empowering as a woman. So tell us more. Why is it empowering? I feel like for me, I always grew up, I wasn't super academic and I tried my hardest I could with like the GCSEs I got to get a well-paying job. 
I just didn't enjoy it. And I thought, really, if I break this down, like, who am I doing this for? For society, for friends, because I'm scared of judgment. When I can go out and have more hours to myself during the day, work my own hours, be my own boss, why am I not doing that? Because I'm scared of what society would say. But at the same time, saying that, I think you've got to be super resilient because even though I thought I was resilient, because I had been bullied at school, I was like, I'm used to it. Even if someone's got something to say, it's fine. It is hard. I was so naive. At 19, I walked into a strip club, asked for a job, and I just assumed it would be all older guys, so no one would ever discover I worked there. Within a week, people from my school turned up, coming into the strip club, literally paying to get an entry just to laugh at me, working, and I was like, mm. it's not the easiest job. There will be a lot of backlash, even in this current climate where OnlyFans is deemed as kind of like trendy or more socially acceptable, it's hard. So you've got to really weigh up your options and think, is it for you? Do you want to do this? And do you feel empowered? After I've done the shoot, I feel on top of the world. I look back at them pictures and I'm like, oh my God, I'm hot. I'm making money. I'm loving life. So I think if you've got that aspect to it, do it. But if it's solely for the money, you've really got to think about it. Let's talk just about pornography for a second. Back in the day, would you, did you do pornography shoots? No, I would never do that. And I think the reason why is because the only porn I saw back then was really for the male gaze, all evolved around the male pleasure and not so much on the woman. I think even being that naive and only having a few sexual experiences myself, I could see as a young girl that that wasn't healthy. The women didn't seem like they were actually enjoying it. So for that reason, I never, I'd done, like I said, like webcam, but that was just me on my own. So, Ruby, if I can just bring you in, what is your view on porn? In your opinion, is it exploitative or can it ever be ethical? I mean, we all have a really specific relationship to porn, whether you are someone who watches it or doesn't. It really impacts the way that we view the world and we need to give a bit more space to it. And I don't have a clear-cut answer for you. I sit more on the side of being pro-porn as an expression of sexuality. Porn is not something new, like there are erotic cave paintings. Like we've for as long as we've been around and have been kind of communicating or making art, something pornographic has been in existence. And porn that we consume tends to kind of follow technology. So like when the printing press became this like newfangled tech in the 18th century, that was a big increase in the way that porn was circulated because suddenly people were writing this really erotic smut, which is really funny to read if ever you want to like, if you're a history nerd like me. And nowadays, obviously, it's so dependent on online spaces, which makes it really complicated. Like porn as a way that we can experience sexuality, I am pretty much all for. Within that, of course, there is exploitation particularly I think like really some problematic roles in terms of gender and race as well they're the two that I see and notice the most and I think we're very focused on the gender aspect not so much around like racial stereotyping but the really like extreme end where people are being exploited isn't porn that is a form of sexual abuse and I and I really think it's important to distinguish that as something separate like it's not part of a regulated industry. So just tell me then, what is ethical porn or feminist porn? So 
Ethical porn is a phrase that listeners might have heard more recently. I think in the last couple of years, it's definitely been a bit more of a buzzword. And to me, ethical porn is around the ethics behind the scenes. So how the porn is made, making sure people are getting paid properly for their time, making sure that consent is being spoken about explicitly, that people have opt-out options at every stage, that they can really control what they make if they're performers, and that there's no pressure to be in that environment. What's interesting is probably the way that lots of listeners have heard ethical porn is about what it looks like. So ethical porn or feminist porn, we tend to think of it being a bit softer, so not as hardcore or explicit, a bit more like rose petals scattered on the bed, like porn for women. And if that's your thing, then great. But actually, I think most people enjoy watching porn because there is an explicitness to it. Lots of the women I speak to actually don't enjoy that softer stuff. They are into something that's a little bit more hardcore and a bit filthier. And I want that to be okay. I don't want in us making porn more ethical for us to sanitise our desires. That is very interesting. I mean, Sam, is that your experience in the therapy room? A, is porn being discussed? But Mm -hmm. B, what is that about the fact that actually women, and I can identify with that, Ruby, that actually you're watching porn because maybe you do want it to be not sanitised. So what's that about, Sam? I think it's really interesting that most of my male clients will not say anything about sex, porn, masturbation, unless it somehow comes round and then they'll say to me, am I allowed to say this? It's just like, well, this is the point. If you're not saying it here, I don't know where you're going to say it. And then women will talk to me about it in the same vein. They'll be like, it's about a choice. I want to choose what I watch, what I'm interested in, what I like, what I don't like. What I don't want is for assumptions to be made when I'm then having sexual experiences about what I would like. So I think they're two different things. So you mean, presumably, rough sex, slapping, choking, all that kind of, you know, Yeah, so women will say, I might want to watch that. Doesn't mean that's necessarily something that I I want want to experience. I want that to be done to me. I think it's interesting there's been a wave where women are so much more open. They want to talk about it. They want it to be explicit. They want their voice to be heard because I think historically it hasn't been. It's so systemic that I think, again, porn, sex is put in this little sort of bubble that doesn't exist in our real lives. And we've got to contextualise it to make it make sense as our whole lived experience rather than this thing that's in the corner that we don't really talk about. Exactly. And on that note, we know that this is extraordinary, this stat. In 2018, Pornhub, which is an online platform, witnessed over 5.8 billion hours of content consumption. That's nearly 665 centuries of material viewed on a single platform in just one year. That's crazy. My brain's melted. I can't compute that number. (laughs) Centuries. I know. Centuries of porn. I couldn't even read that number when it was when it was first on the script. So we also know that roughly a third of UK adults look at porn online every month, and that's nearly 14 million people. Clearly, we need it. We need it. So one of those 14 million shared the following dilemma with us. He's found that his opinion about porn doesn't quite align with those of his female partner. Hi, Anna. Hope you might be able to help with this one. I enjoy porn on my own and I used to watch porn with my ex-girlfriend in the past. I mentioned this to my current girlfriend and she took it really badly. 
she said she hates the idea of me being a thing with my ex and even more so that she thinks porn is emotionally cheating and it objectifies women. And my argument is that it's just a fantasy and I would never cheat on her. So what's the big deal? What do you think? We're all sitting here, aren't we, going, mm, nodding and stroking chins. Megan, <laughs> you wrote a column for Vice on how to watch porn in a healthy way, which I read, really enjoyed it. What's your immediate response to this dilemma? I feel like the biggest thing is communication here. Like, I think maybe in her head, the fact that he's already said, oh, I've done it with my ex, there's a level of, like, competitiveness or jealousy, because I know I would feel that way. So is there a way of watching porn in a healthy way? I believe so, yeah. Like if you're into it and there's a fantasy that you want to like recreate and you've seen it in porn or there's something that really turns you on that you watch privately and you want to bring that into the bedroom with your partner, I would just have that conversation and be like, this is really turning me on. Like, watch this with me. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Should we recreate this? Have you ever <laughs> had that situation though where you've kind of gone, I, I, I quite like this kind of thing and then your partner's going what the hell what is that? do you know what I mean when you're like oh I wish I'd never mentioned it have you ever had that no I think it's interesting I really like to pick like people's brains and see what they're into like maybe it's not personally for me but I guess like I'm one of these people that will try everything once I think there's no point being judgmental unless you've tried it unless so. you've tried it I get that I totally get that <laughs> Ruby what do you think is going on here in this dilemma I mean, so much of what you're saying, I, I think is bang on that it's the way that it was maybe communicated. So it's a learning process for next time or if, for, if he's kind of wanting to talk about future, like kinks, little cheeky, spicy things that you might want to try. The main thing coming up here for me is that a lot of the time in partnered relationships, it's really easy for our sexualities to just merge with the person that we're with and to lose sight of the fact that our sexuality is an individual thing because I've spoken to loads of people before who've thought of this kind of like someone masturbating or someone watching porn as taking away from them or a reflection on the sex and the romance in the relationship and I'd really would love us to approach sex as something that we can do on our own and we can do with other people we're allowed to have some privacy in our sexual selves just because we're in a relationship doesn't mean we have to share absolutely everything do you know that's so important isn't it because you're right to say that we can enjoy porn and our own fantasies on our own and we have a sexual relationship with ourselves and it doesn't always have to be with your other half i think that's a really good point sam you've been nodding sagely all the way through um what are your thoughts about this dilemma I think if we put it again, if we put this into, okay, I used to go running with my ex-girlfriend. I used to go to this shop with my ex-girlfriend. I used, It's about intimacy. It's about, okay, I used to do this thing. Obviously, there's a sexual layer to it, but nobody wants that. No one wants to feel like they're being usurped. I think comparing it with other things in life can be helpful. And how do we have that conversation to say, okay, this may, what makes me feel uncomfortable about this is this. And to kind of find a middle ground. And I agree, you don't have, you know, your own sexual experience can be your own. That doesn't take away from the relationship. And I would like to define and drill down the language of, okay, what does emotional cheating mean? What what does that actually look like? And everyone has their own definition of that. Mm. What is cheating? Cheating is not a, a universal thing. Infidelity is something that is specific to each relationship. So infidelity is the crossing of 
the boundaries that have been put in place. And those boundaries look different from relationship to relationship. So it's really hard to accuse cheating when you've not had the conversation to clarify what your specific relationship looks like. So effectively you're saying in terms of this dilemma what does cheating look like to the both of you within yeah. this within this relationship and and often you can get into really sticky situations and really hurtful situations if you've not clarified what the parameters of that relationship means to both of you because if you if these two people are coming from the assumption of one of them saying oh well watching porn's fine like that's just part of my life and it doesn't have a reflection on our relationship but the other person has a really deep kind of discomfort or fear around their partner watching porn if you don't know that about each other you can see how the hurt and the sort of feelings of maybe betrayal or mistrust come up really easily when this kind of stuff comes out but then there's the other question of her saying well it objectifies women and what worries her about that because porn does objectify women so she does have a point what do you think about this girl's I do think because porn is seen as such a taboo topic, which we don't discuss enough, I think people have in their head like a misconception of all porn. Recently, there's been so many producers of porn, which are women who have been in the sex work industry themselves and then gone on to make films. And it's all about same-sex relationships, body diversity, and just more female pleasure, which we hadn't seen for so long. So I think maybe because porn isn't openly discussed, her perception of porn is very old school. It's not how it is now. Yes and no, though. Because mm. if I went onto my phone, say, and I wanted to look up porn videos, there's, there's just a sea of, in, in a sense, quite quite troubling pornography, I would mm. say. So even if you you can access those directors who are doing it from a female gaze point of view, it's lost in mm. the sea of all the other crap out there. But I think that's, a, that's something where if you're someone who doesn't have a kind of personal relationship with porn, the fear of the unknown there is massive. And I think what this dilemma needs is a bit of reassurance of just getting rid of a bit of that fear. Mm. The analogy I use, and I've used in classrooms... It's like, how different is the abundance of porn on a site like Pornhub or X Hamster compared to TikTok and the way that we consume other forms of entertainment? Our brains are being scrambled by the internet in many ways. And porn is one of those areas. But it's a shame that that's always the one that we go to to, to get ourselves like whipped up in a frenzy. You're right. You are absolutely right that our consumption anyway of social media screen time that you know we're focusing just on porn when actually there's a, a plethora of other things scrambling our brains but do you think that porn is addictive and if so why big questions it's like an o-level <laughs> let's go to the psychotherapist please yeah. we're all looking to sam um, it's interesting because it's equally as addictive as anything else could be drinking food Overeating, undereating, screen time. Like addiction isn't about the, the thing, it's underneath it. Why am I doing this? Why am I drinking 10 bottles of wine? Why am I watching so much porn? What's the, what's the pull for me? The content in a way is arguable, okay? We can look at that, but what's underneath it, I think is more important. But yes, it's as, as addictive as anything else could be. And can pornography damage relationships? Megan, what do you think? 
I think if it's taking over and you'd rather watch porn than be intimate with your partner, then I think that's like a red flag, something that's not right there. But I don't, I think it can be used to spice up relationships. I get bored like sometimes of having the same repetitive sex. I'm like, let's watch some porn together, get some inspo. I think it can be used in a healthy way. And again, going back to the listeners' girlfriends, like, worry about porn. For me personally, especially since I started dating women, I used to, like, search for, like, lesbian porn. And I remember looking and being like, I've slept with girls. This is not real life. This is not what we do. Like, what on earth's happening? And then from that, I've um, discovered verified amateurs. And that's people like content creators like myself who use OnlyFans. And it'll be genuine lesbian couples or heterosexual couples that post their own videos online and they get paid from that. So that's like, I feel the most ethical porn. There's no producer, there's no set. It's literally like a couple in a relationship filming it at home. So I think if you watch that sort of porn then it won't get to a point of being like, oh, should we watch porn or have sex? So, Ruby, I was going to say, are there any porn sites that are getting it, it right when it comes to sort of better representation? Do you want me to just do my list? Yeah, come I'll on, just... let's have it. <laughs> What's on the top of my head? Just to flag as well, this is a Goldilocks situation. We've all got to go out and find the things that are right for, yes. for us. Like, it's all personal preference. Lustery is a really good one for kind of like real-life couples and individuals. I love that site. And then others off the top of my head... Get Cheeks is great. Four Chambered Heart. I love really kind of weird art housey porn. Not for everyone, very much for me. Um, Royal Fetish Films is really beautiful. Pink Royal Label. Royal Fetish. Crash that Pad feels series. like it's something to do with the Windsor family. <laughs> oh no no no! It's be- like it's really beautifully made, like kink and fetish content, and they are shit hot on on kind of the ethics behind the scenes. And final plug: audio porn in lots of different forms and ways audio porn creates a really intimate fantasy your mind's allowed to wander a little bit it's permission to kind of slip further into it and and escape and enjoy the fantasy what audio porn sites would you recommend um literotica is an old school one uh they do like written porn and audio porn but lots of kind of diy homemade content and then there's dipsy Get Cheeks has got really good audio porn as well. Links in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Each of you, what's your one piece of advice for this listener? Megan, I'm going to start with you. I think communication is key maybe not just before you're about to get intimate but just when you're chilling just like try and open up the conversation to being like I know you said you're not really into watching porn, but have you heard about this kind of type of porn? And like we said, I didn't even know about audio porn. Like That could be a good place to start. Do you know what I mean? If she's not really into watching visual porn, that could be a great place to start. So just try and introduce it in a gentle, like, nice way. Ruby, I mean, I think we're all completely um, thrown by the audio porn. This is very exciting. I'll hook you all up. I'll send you links. That's something for my drive at the M1. (laughs) Oh, watch it now if you're behind the wheel. (laughs) What's your advice for the listener? I'm I'm just going to go back to reassurance. There's there's lots of complicated things to talk about here, but if you're if you're approaching them with wanting to hear where your girlfriend's coming from and wanting to reassure the fears that might come up, I think you're going to end up in a better place. It it sounds like you're coming from quite different perspectives, so there'll need to be some compromise on both ends, potentially, but you've got to to approach it with kindness. 
Sam? I mean, I would agree with all of the above, but I would still be looking for the underneath it. Why is this an issue to begin with? Because often the subject point, the content It's never really about that. So if we're feeling underconfident or not reassured, that's about the whole relationship. It's not just about, okay, you do this and I feel this. It's what goes on during the day. We call it the hidden curriculum. What do I see all the time? It's not what you tell me. It's not what I say to you. It's all the other stuff. That's what really impacts our worries, our fears. It's not this one thing. So I'd be looking at it holistically And saying, well, what's actually the issue with this? What's the problem? Do you feel disconnected with me? And when I do this, there's a fear that I'm going to what? So I think it's always looking for the underneath. And often we don't know because we don't ask ourselves those questions. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ashley. And this, guys, is Nip Tuck Pod. We are your girl chat. We say the things you want to hear, the things that you're thinking but you don't want to say out loud. And we're all about being strong, aspirational women who basically don't give a... Uh, Lauren, anyway, if you want unfiltered chat, amazing beauty and product recommendations, then look no further, guys. This is the podcast where you will get all of the girly chat. Okay, thank you. We've also received a dilemma from someone who has her hands full with three teenage sons. She's written in asking for advice on how to ensure her sons are properly educated when it comes to pornography and respectful sex. Here goes. Hi, Anna. I've got three boys and I worry about how best to support them through the tricky teenage years where hormones are raging and there's a lot of pressure around sex. My oldest is 17 and he finds it hard to be vulnerable and honest with me, even though I'm pretty sure he is sexually active and definitely watches porn. I think it's because I shied away from the conversation with him when he was growing up. I know there's a lot they won't want to tell their mum as they experiment, but how do I make sure they're respectful when it comes to sex and even when it comes to porn consumption? Should I approach them about it and make sure they're watching porn that isn't offensive to women? Any advice would be helpful, as I think me not doing anything is the worst thing. Okay, Sam, I know you have two young boys. I do. But is this something you worry about when it comes to kids and their exposure to porn? I mean, I think this is very complicated and I think when they're little... It's, you know, it's just not appropriate, just like we wouldn't want them to watch a horror film or an action film. Their brains are not ready. If you teach your children, generally, we respect people. We're kind to people. It's our value systems. All of that, I think by the time they get to 17, 18, 15, when they start watching things, and unfortunately, we have to give them a level of autonomy of, okay, I've given you all these tools. I've equipped you with these things that I hope mean that you can make judgments about this. But we know that that kids are accessing porn from about the age of 11 onwards, which is extraordinary. So even if you have parented your children Mm -hmm. incredibly well, that access to pornography, which we know, unless you're able to access more respectful, if Mm -hmm. you like, sites or ethical porn, Mm -hmm. it is going to mess with their heads, surely? No, I agree. I think it does. And I think an explicit conversation needs to be had. 
I think having an open conversation and just laying it all out there, they may not want to hear it. They may be quiet. They may not say anything, but it sits there somewhere. So you've had that conversation. You have an open talk. You're honest about it. If you're honest about it, you're teaching them and showing them, okay, when you're ready, if you choose to, you can be honest with me if you want or somebody else. But I think, you know, age 11, that's intense. So it needs to be handled with care and it needs to be said, I think. Girls, what do you think? How can parents encourage honesty and vulnerability in teenage boys when it comes to sex? Ruby? Parents are rightly very protective of their children and also sometimes a little hopeful that they are not experiencing something yet. So I'll go into a school and talk about like bringing up porn or online safety in a lesson and some resistance might be from parents of being like, oh, my kid's not doing that. My kid's not looking at that. And just because your child might not be, it doesn't mean they're not in an environment where that can come up. And we've got to look at this head on and approach it. And it's about parents. It's about schools. It's about all of the people in children and young people's lives having this is complicated. And it's and like it's not about having to get it completely right. It's about giving it a go. And once your children are teenagers and have a bit of that autonomy, inviting them in, not just to have a conversation, but to collaborate on that conversation as well, to go, hey, I'm scared about this. I don't know exactly how to approach this. These are my fears of what watching porn might do for someone your age. It's always good to kind of use broad language like that rather than saying for you. Uh, That's quite intimidating. And invite them to to share some of those fears if they want to or some of the things that people their age might be up to. But just keeping keeping it going as a conversation and getting yourself used to having those conversations because that's the biggest thing. If, it, if it's so like alien to someone, then it's really understandable to just put your head in the sand and I want to get all, all the heads out of the sand. Megan, do you think that porn can ever be a useful tool for teens to learn about sex? Or is it just too uncensored and therefore unrealistic and therefore potentially dangerous? Yeah, I think that's why I've tried to use my platform so much to really be a voice on sex positivity and things like that. Because growing up, I don't know, 16, I didn't know where to look for advice on sex. It was too awkward to ask my mum or my parents. So I would literally be like, oh, let me just look on porn. So I think that's the best thing for parents to do. Like, Not that I'm a mum, but if I did have kids... Especially now with social media, the way people are sending videos around on phones and stuff, I think it can be so dangerous because they're not going to be sending a cute, romantic, loving kind of porn around the school. I imagine it's going to be like something really extreme with shock value. And I think the main thing is to say to young girls and boys is, this isn't a true representation of a loving sexual relationship. Of course, some people are into the more extreme choking, spanking, whatever, but generally that's not what couples loving couples do and if you do do that you need consent so I think we just need to get that across and I get that it's awkward but maybe if you just like you said don't say it's directly about you and the parent just be like oh my friends who've got kids your age apparently videos have been going around you do realize what's going on in these videos isn't a normal relationship like sexual behavior that's what I would do personally not that my (laughs) mum so Do you think that this is the point then that maybe a parent might point their kids towards ethical porn sites? I get where you're coming from and I think there are merits to that in some 
instances, but overall, legally, for someone over 18 to show or recommend porn to someone under 18 big illegal red flag God, like, so, so, so as a parent you wouldn't even say look if you're going to be watching this kids at least go to a site that is ethical i don't know i mean sharing things and like leaving things around the house like a sex ed kind of book that someone can pick up if they want to but there's no pressure you're not like making someone read anything that could be a, a nice way of going about it or if there are kind of YouTubers or people online who do sex education and as a parent it's really important to do your research and make sure that these are people who are kind of qualified in some way it's not just someone like spouting their opinions which like could be very subjective that I think can be a nice thing and especially maybe if it's someone a a teenager who's a bit younger of being like let's should we watch this together if someone explaining this anatomy or explaining this thing around gender if that's a conversation that's coming up. So for parents what we're saying is potentially leave some materials, a book lying around on sex education or point them towards an authoritative voice in terms of sex education Mm -hmm. online or just have the open, honest conversation with your kids and engender trust. And if someone, if if a young person comes to you, right, if your child comes to you with a question and you don't know the answer, that's okay. You're you're allowed to not know the answer, but Brooke is a wonderful um, sexual health charity for young people. It's where I used to work but their website's great. And so saying, okay, I don't know that, but let's go on to the Brooke website together and see if we can figure that out ourselves. Because it's not just the information that we're giving to young people, it's the way we're doing it. If we're approaching these conversations with maybe a bit of awkwardness and laughter, but without shame, without embarrassment, without shutting down the conversation, that is a huge learning moment that it's okay to have questions about this. You're so right to say that the shame and the embarrassment has to be totally shut down, doesn't it, in terms of the parenting and having the conversation with your kids. I mean, Sam, do you think that's the case? I think, again, it's systemic. I think that's about everything. So if you're generally open with your children, and they're generally open with you, you're more likely to get that response when we're talking about sex, porn, babies, all of that sort of stuff. I think we hyper-focus, as we do with every sort of subject, and say, well, in this instance, we do this. But actually, if you look at the whole system, what's it like generally? I think that's the key to look at everything and go, well, okay, is my child generally closed off? Why are they closed off? I think it's about trying to broadly open ourselves up. I think it makes a big difference when it comes to very uncomfortable topics for adults, let alone for young people. So each of you then, what is your one piece of advice for this listener when it comes to educating her teenage boys? What would you say? I'd say... Get in the habit of having conversations that can feel uncomfortable and and share that discomfort with your kids. And, and also, you need to be open to have a bit of this chat. But if there are other trusted adults in their life that you think they could also benefit from having conversations with, it doesn't have to just be you. You're not alone in this. But I really love that you've ended your question going I've I've got to do something. Megan what would you say to this listener? I just think the main key message is to just let young guys know that what they see in porn isn't an accurate representation 
of a loving couple and how you would go on to have sex for the first time with your girlfriend. Mm. And also, I feel like if you are awkward about this kind of topic of conversation, for me personally, whenever I have any awkward conversations with friends or whoever, I'm like, should we just go for a drive and tactically drop it in on the drive? Because then you're looking straightforward. You don't have to make eye contact. It can be fine. I feel like you can speak more freely when you're not looking directly at each other. Sam, one final thought on this? What would you advise if she was your client? I would probably talk to her about consent as well, and I think we've touched on it, but I think drilling down there, okay, if someone doesn't want to do something, we don't do it. If you don't want to do something, you don't do it. And finally, Megan, I've got to ask you this question, really. Do you see yourself staying part of the sex industry long term, or have you got other ambitions? No, I think for me, I got into it at such a young age, at 19, and I'm turning 30 this year. So that's a long time where my whole career and focus has been making money is dependent on my aesthetic, how I look. I'm going to wait till I'm at 35. I say that as a ballpark, but like as soon as I stop enjoying it and it becomes a chore and I think, "Mm, I don't enjoy shooting anymore or I don't know, my priorities change. But I think you definitely have to go into the industry with that mindset of, a get out strategy because that money isn't going to last forever and it is it was shocking when I first started earning that money compared to a normal nine to five I thought I was rich you should have seen me in Harrods I was doing the most and I was thinking oh my god I've made it mum but then obviously you grow up and you're like okay this isn't going to last forever I don't think there's an age bracket and I don't think women should feel like oh okay because I've heard that a lot in interviews and stuff they're like oh how long are you going to do it for when you get to 30 or when you have kids you're going to give up and I don't think having kids firstly should be a reason to quit the sex industry and I don't think age should be but I think if you're bored of it or you you don't want to see yourself in it long term think of a good backup plan start investing that money. Megan And Ruby, thank you both so much for coming into the studio and for talking so openly. And, you know, what's so wonderful about this show, in a sense, and having you guys here is the fact there is no shame and that we can talk openly and honestly about things like porn, which can be so divisive. So I'm grateful for your honesty and your insight into it. And Sam Penelzancolo, thank you too for your expertise as always was it okay i loved it that it was, was good sorry to be the person to say that that was a juicy chat that was great <laughs> <laughs> it was wasn't it I, I i feel completely enlightened and i have to say i have learned something so thank you all of you and of course thank you for listening if this conversation resonated with you in any way then please do get in touch i know we say it every week but this show is nothing without you and your thoughts and feedback I'll be back next week with a new episode of It Can't Just Be Me. So please keep sending us your voice notes. You can get in touch at itcantjustbeme.co.uk or you can email me at itcantjustbeme at podimo.com. And if you want to see more of the show, remember, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and Facebook. Just search for It Can't Just Be Me and you never know, there may one day be an OnlyFans. Whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producers are Laura Williams and Christy Calloway-Gale. The editor is Kit Milson. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. The executive producer for Mags is Faith Russell. 
Don't forget to follow the show or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. Listener.